Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Penn State Blitz podcast is back and better than ever. We are in June. It's starting to get warm out. I love it. I'm Bob Flounders, joined by Greg Pickle on the podcast. Real quick, just to talk about some of the things on this edition of the podcast. James Franklin, Eric Barron, Penn State's president, a couple of players had some very interesting things to say in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd and all the protests going on around the country. We'll get into that. I had a chance, Greg did as well, to talk to Penn State quarterback Sean Clifford for, I think, the first time since uh, all this, uh, uh, the coronavirus pandemic began. It's been a while. He had some things to say about Penn State's offense and how he's kind of keeping in shape before they get back to campus. There's a Penn State transfer, transfer portal candidate, and it's a Harrisburg high guy. We will get into what that means for the Penn State defense, and Greg and I will close, as always, with the Penn State mailbag. Okay, Greg, let's kick off this Penn State blitz. It's been a very turbulent uh, last couple of days, last couple of weeks in this country after the, uh, the death of George Floyd while in police custody, protests going on around the country in the Harrisburg area where I am everywhere. And James Franklin, Penn State President Eric Barron, a couple of players were made available to share their thoughts. I know C.J. Thorpe, Penn State's offensive lineman, I believe spoke at a uh, rally in State College over the weekend. You know, they have some, some strong opinions and deservedly so. Anything strike you, Greg, as we get into this before we move on to some football news? Yeah, obviously just a a really disgusting thing caught on video in Minnesota. And, you know, I I think one thing listening to P.J. Mustafer, Sean Clifford, James Franklin, C.J. Thorpe, James Franklin and his coaching staff have really instilled in these guys the ability to speak up for what they believe for. Lamont Wade, of course, has been a guy who always has tackled social issues in a way that, uh, you know, makes his voice heard. And I think that James Franklin has been sort of shied away from getting involved in the social things and political things and and really anything away from the field, Bob. I think we can both think of instances where he's kind of started to go down that road and then stopped and, and sort of said, you know, I, I don't want to get into this or I don't want to go down that, you know, whatever. And, and he obviously on Saturday felt compelled to put a statement out there. And I think uh, we've seen it across the board from colleges to pro teams to coaches to players, et cetera. There's a lot to talk about right now, and there's a lot to work through right now, not just in the sports world, of course, but in the country. As uh, people like Sean Clifford say, uh, maybe this will be a catalyst for change. We'll have to see, obviously, things like this in the past have maybe not led to as much change as people would have thought. So, obviously, I think the the key here is that people, within the Penn State program at least, and I think we're starting to see some of it nationwide, people listening, people realizing that. Some things need to change. And, and with Penn State uh, folks, the message has been basically just that. I thought P.J. Mustafer, you were on the call, Bob, but he was very elegant. I got to listen back to it later in the day on Tuesday at just, you know, C.J. Thorpe at the rally that I believe our good friend Mark Brennan and his daughter Grace videoed was uh, a powerful speech. And James Franklin's words were as well. 
you know, as a program, it seems like this is something they're discussing. They're talking about a lot. And as Sean Clifford said, it's not the first time they've talked about it and it won't be the last. Yeah. And just before we move on, just it's, it just seems like in one way or another, Penn State and the, and the program and James Franklin and their players have been dealing with some things even before the last week or so. Greg, I remember last year, I believe it was last year, if you remember, Jonathan Sutherland got, got I believe he got some mail from a, uh, either a Penn State grad or a Penn State alum or a Penn State fan. Critical of kind of, I guess, his, his hairstyle. You know, the way that the team kind of rallied around Jonathan, the way that James Franklin rallied around Jonathan, it just seems to me like this has been a very unified, a very close team, even before the events of the last week or so. They've been a pretty together team, I think, for a while. And they're, like you said, they're comfortable speaking out. It's something they believe strongly. And I, I just think that that's kind of shown through not only in the last week or so, but also dating back to last year, you mentioned Lamont Wade. But I think a lot of the Penn State players have some strong opinions and, and James encourages them to share them. Yeah, absolutely. And he is, uh, like I said, he is in the past shied away from getting involved with things like this. But I think it gives his players the right message that we're going to tell you it's okay to speak up on your thoughts and beliefs, and and we need to do it too. We see the number of coaches, not just James, put out uh, statements and, and thoughts and, and all that as well in the last week. Okay, let's get to uh, another topic. Uh, Penn State starting quarterback Sean Clifford. Heard from him on a conference call about a day ago uh, since as we're taping this. He was, uh, he was asked a lot of different things. He talked about uh, protests and kind of some of the things that his expressions on kind of what he would like to see happen, hopefully uh, some changes that need to be made. But he also talked uh, some football, Greg. He talked about Kirk Shiraka's offense, how far along he feels like he is. There were a couple things that struck me. Uh, one of them was that, you know, Sean, as, as the team is kind of away, you know, they've been working out remotely. A lot of them don't have access to proper weightlifting equipment or nutrition. Sean is from the Cincinnati area. He's had a little bit of an advantage because he's had a receiver he can throw to and kind of try and stay sharp as much as he can. His brother, Liam Clifford, who was a Penn State verbal, I believe, for the class of 2021, an athlete uh, recruit, but he's, he's, he's a wideout and a good one. And they've been kind of working out together. I think that's going to help Sean. He also, had, he also shared some thoughts on kind of getting up to speed in Kirk Shiraka's offense. Anything strike you about what Sean Clifford had to say about just kind of getting ready for when the team returns to campus? The big thing to me, Bob, was um, obviously the thing that you wrote about uh, this morning, Thursday morning, about uh, working out with Liam was very important. I think a lot of guys haven't had the chance to go catch passes from a quarterback or throw if they are a quarterback or work on handoffs if they are a running back. And so that is an advantage Sean Clifford will certainly be able to take advantage of. Not everybody has a, another FBS level player sitting in their house. So that's something that I think is very interesting part of all of this. But I think the biggest takeaway for me, Bob, is when he talked about Kirk Shiraka improving his footwork to improve his accuracy. You know, when I, we were sharing some uh, Clifford's thoughts on social media yesterday, somebody responded, well, what's he going to do to be more accurate? And it sounds like Kirk Shiraka's recognized that as an area that must be improved. And he's going to put a plan in place to make sure it happens. So I think that fans can really uh, maybe rest easy with the idea that Sean Clifford's been out doing footwork stuff every, uh, probably every day or almost every day since the middle of March and everything's shut down. So accuracy should be less of an issue this year. And if not, then Will Levis might have to be called on. So 
time will tell with that. I also thought it was really intriguing, Bob, that he's working with the uh, U.S. national chess team coach to approach the mental side of the game in a different way. And that was uh, that was something I didn't have on my bingo card for Sean Clifford's call yesterday. Yeah, I'm just glad Sean referenced chess and not checkers. That would have been a troubling sign. Just to double back on what you said, I think I, I was struck by what he said about footwork and accuracy and the need to be more accurate. Uh, off the top of my head, I believe Sean's passing percentage last year was right around 59% in an RPO where there should be some things wide open on the passing. And that's just not good enough. I know KJ Hamler had a lot of drops last year. So did some other players. If you don't think that Kirk Shiraka can get a quarterback to be accurate, you haven't, you didn't watch Tanner Morgan in the, in the Minnesota offense last year. Tanner Morgan is a very good quarterback, but I don't think a lot of people realized who Tanner Morgan was at the start of last year. And you and I, Greg and Dave Jones, had a front row seat to just what an accurate quarterback is when, when Minnesota beat Penn State. Tanner Morgan was 18 for 20 for about 330 yards. And I think one of the passes that was not complete was either a drop or a throwaway. I mean, it was a seven-on-seven drill. I think that bodes well for Sean Clifford if Kirk stresses completion percentage and, and Sean can kind of see what Tanner Morgan was able to do, I think Sean's going to be paying very close attention to what Kirk wants from him. And I think that if Sean can get his completion percentage up to, you know, the mid sixties, you're going to see him have a really, really big year. Well, it's something to watch for considering that, you know, they really haven't had a chance to work together, but accuracy is definitely going to be maybe one of the things Sean Clifford has to improve the most. Before we get to transfer news here on the Penn State Blitz. We're about halfway through. Or I, I know that you have some advice, some strong advice and some housekeeping for our listeners and our viewers if they can kind of rate. Yeah, you got it, Bob. The Penn Live Penn State Blitz podcast usually comes out Thursday morning. It'll be Friday this week, though. If you subscribe, you can get a little bit early. We play with the days at times to make sure we get all the most up-to-date information. It does not always work in our favor. This week, it seems to have uh, done so, but we'll see. And uh, you can get that on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your audio. And don't remember to like, rate, and subscribe. When it comes to YouTube and all the videos, archived and videos of the Penn State Blitz, it's youtube.com slash State. You can find us there. Don't forget to subscribe and get all the latest videos from Bob and I, Dave, Joe Hermit, and the rest of our Penn State team. Bob, one thing I'll leave you with on Sean Clifford before we get into uh, the transfer portal news is that Another thing that really strikes you about that Minnesota offense is Tanner Morgan got a lot of help from his receivers because they ran the correct routes and didn't drop the ball often. And Penn State had problems in both of those categories. So if you combine Sean Clifford's improved footwork with more precise work by the receivers under Taylor Stubblefield, you definitely could have something to work with in 2020. Let's get moving ahead here. Penn State Blitz podcast continues. Bob Flounder is joined by Greg Pickle. We're in June. It's great. Getting closer, hopefully, to some actual football, hopefully, to talk about, but you never know. Okay, so Penn State's defense should be very good this year, Greg. But they were trying to get closer to the scholarship count, I think, of 85, which is what they need to be at. 
One of the ways they can do that is if a player opts to transfer out of the program, enter the transfer portal. I don't think Penn State had huge plans for defensive tackle. Damian Barber, the Harrisburg high grad, Micah Parsons' teammate for the Cougars. But he, uh, he hasn't done much at uh, Penn State. He's not going to. He's in the transfer portal. Any surprise there? Did you kind of see this coming? I didn't really think he was going to play a big role on Penn State's defense unless there were some injuries. Your thoughts on Damian Parber, what he did at Penn State, and what it means for the Penn State defensive tackle rotation to not have him. Am I surprised that Damian Barber in the transfer portal? No. Am I surprised at the timing of it? A little bit, because I figured it would have been either before the June semester started the first one or in between the end of the first and the start of the second one. So that did surprise me a little bit, Bob. But, you know, at the end of the day, Damian uh, maybe was starting to make a stride forward. But if he didn't get on the field last year with kind of some of the issues they had with the, uh, you know, again, the I remember we were up in State College and asked James Franklin, you know, when they moved C.J. Thorpe over the defense, and it's just like, well, what about these other guys you have over there? What's going on? And he didn't have a great answer, which I guess it was a bad question. But, you know, when C.J. Thorpe made that move to defense and jumped right to the top of the line, you kind of knew that some of these guys, Damian Barber included, might not be in for big contributions at Penn State. You know, some wonder if the fact that he was named in the hazing lawsuit as a defendant against, uh, you know, by Isaiah Humphreys against him, James Franklin, Penn State, if that uh, was a part of this. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. He thanks James Franklin on the way out. We'll see where he lands next. Certainly wish him all the best. A Harrisburg guy who, uh, you know, maybe just needs a different uh, change of scenery, Bob, to uh, make something happen at the college level. Yeah, and one other thing that struck me is uh, I remember when John Scott was made available on a Zoom call earlier this spring, and he was asked about defensive tackles. He, me- he mentioned a bunch of guys, Greg. I think he even mentioned a, uh, a true freshman who had rolled in January. I don't think he mentioned Damian Barber's name. That should have probably been a tell. I think Penn State's been prepared for this uh, for a while. I think Damian Barber probably has been prepared for this for a while as well. We wish him the best. Big athlete, gained a lot of weight to move inside. I think he was a defensive end at Harrisburg. Maybe he got a little bit too big. I don't know. I just wish him the best as well. Micah Parsons reached out, I think, on Twitter to say this one hurt. Uh, they were a very good one-two punch on Harrisburg's defense. It just didn't work out for Damian at Penn State. But Penn State's got some pretty talented defensive linemen. We'll see what happens with Damian Barber. There's only one thing less, left to do, Greg, here on the Penn State Blitz, and that's get into some mailbag. Yeah, let's do it, Bob. First, does it surprise you at all? This is a story you wrote earlier the, the first week, earlier in the first week of June. But does it surprise you at all that Penn State has no public plan at this point to get the players back to campus? Or do you think they're taking it slow wisely and that they'll get the guys back as soon as they can? I, I'm kind of waffling on this and I'm curious about your thoughts. As you can tell, a lot of programs are targeting this Monday, June 8th. I think it's Iowa, Wisconsin and Ohio State. I think that I, I think Penn State players will be back on campus, I think, a little bit later than that. If you just look at the way things have been going in Pennsylvania with res- regard to the lockdown and Governor Wolf, everything's been a very slow go. And I think Penn State's just kind of trying to be cautious and trying to be prepared and making I don't even know if they need to sign off with anyone on, on that end. But I, I think it's coming. I don't think if they're a week or two behind other schools, it's going to be a huge deal. I'd be really surprised if maybe a week or uh, two weeks from now, or let's say, put it this way, Greg, if we're not talking about it next week, about them coming back, that'd be a little bit of a concern, but they, they need to get it right. They need to get testing 
protocols, I think, in place. And I'm sure there's a lot of moving parts we're not even aware aware of. I would look for some movement on that front in the next couple of weeks. But there's no need to rush it because if you get it wrong, I think that would really set you back. So we'll see uh, when Penn State gets back to campus. But you can tell, listening to the players this week, PJ and Sean, they're itching to get back. I think a lot of the players are, are itching to get back. And hopefully it'll happen in the next, who knows, next 10 days, next two weeks. Amen to that, Bob. You have to get it right. You have to be smart about it. You also can't panic anytime a player tests positive for the coronavirus. I think that um, Oklahoma State provided a good example of that. I believe it was Oklahoma State. Maybe it was Oregon State. It was one of the OSUs out west. Oklahoma State. Yeah. You know, and they they said there, look, we knew this was going to happen. We had a plan in place to deal with it. And uh, that's what Penn State and everybody else is going to have to do. So, I'm sure that James Franklin is pushing very hard for Penn State to get its date established and finalized. And right now, though, we're in a holding pattern. Yeah, and he's a bit nothing. James Franklin is a guy with plans and he's got everything planned down to the day during a normal year. So I'm not surprised they're taking a very patient, uh, detailed approach because that's kind of what James has been about, all about since he got here in the winter of 2014. My feeling, Greg, is though when Penn State does return to campus, the plan is going to be very sound. And I think just about every contingency between the medical and training staff, the support of Penn State University and James, I think they're going to have just about every scenario covered. And that might be one of the reasons why they're taking a little bit longer. Bob, what's the biggest trap game on Penn State's schedule? Oh, man. Now you got me. When I looked at their schedule, I don't know that it's Virginia Tech, the toughest non-conference game. You look at who they have on their schedule this year, the road trips. Unless I'm wrong, I I just have a little bit of a funny feeling about the team I like growing up with. I believe they have a road trip to Nebraska this year, and I think it comes – I know Nebraska has a tough schedule. I just think that game might be a little bit tougher than people realize. Obviously, they have to go to Michigan this year. Obviously, they have Ohio State coming in. Those games are what they are. I think that the, the road trip to Nebraska, this is, I think, I think Nebraska is, is, is facing a big year because I thought they would be a little bit further along. They do have some talent. They've struggled on defense, but that's a game I think that you will see. You know, Penn State's got to travel. It's never easy. That's a game, not like the Minnesota game last year. I thought Minnesota was going to be pretty good because they were good the year before. They closed strong the year before. That's a game I, I would worry about as a possible trap game. What about you? I'm actually eyeing up just to be different the week before you and that Indiana trip because Penn State comes off an absolutely miserable October stretch. They're at Michigan, home with Iowa, and then home with Ohio State. And then regardless of what happens, you got to go to Indiana. Now, the Nebraska atmosphere, Bob, as we know, is usually pretty charged up, pretty hyped up. Not saying it'll be an easy game. It won't be a a cakewalk, and Nebraska should be better this year. But I think Penn State will be ready for that game. Indiana's the kind of team that can catch you asleep at the wheel, especially if it's an early start out in Bloomington, especially coming off that three-game stretch. That one, to me, is the one that I look at and say, hmm, that could be a problem. So for me, Bob, it's the Indiana game. Yeah, and I think that's the game. I mean, Indiana gave them all they want last year in State College. It was a close game back and forth. I think Penn State won by seven. That quarterback, Ramsey, who I think is now at Northwestern, threw for over 300 yards, put on a show. They didn't see the lefty, their better quarterback. I think it was Michael Pendricks. I think Indiana is a pretty 
pretty solid team now. I know Dave Jones is a big fan of their coach, Tom Allen. You might be right. It might be Indiana, but it also speaks to if Nebraska comes after the Indiana game, Penn State might be a little worn out for that trip to Nebraska. It's not an easy trip. I think both games are going to be tests. Even though Penn State, I, I expect them to be in line for a, a potential 10-win season, they're going to ha- they have some tough games on their schedule. And when you got to play Ohio State and Michigan, and you got to go to Virginia Tech, and we got to play Indiana, they got to play Indiana and Nebraska. You know, there there are some bumps in the road. They could easily drop more games than I expect, but they could also win 10 or 11 games. It's just a lot of it's going to depend on how they come out of this this off season and how much it takes for them to catch up, especially on the offensive end. All right, Bob, final word, your best bet of the weekend, big horse racing action at Santa Anita at Belmont. Mine is mind control Saturday at Belmont. Yours is what? Uh, I don't have a best bet yet because I haven't looked at it. You degenerate. But uh, um, I want to see authentic run uh, at Santa Anita. I also just wanted to say I'm really bummed out. Arrowgate uh, passed away at the age of seven, had to be put down, had a lot of medical issues at Seven's a young, very young age. One of the one of the most talented horses I've seen run in the last five or six years. You you look at what he was able to do in that Saratoga race, and also uh, his race at in a big race in Dubai when he came went from last to first against a very good field is one of my favorite races of all time. He got put down. Nadal, one of the top three year olds in the country, uh, broken left foreleg. I think he's not uh, he's going to survive it, but his career looks like it's over. Just bummed out when to see when that happens. I'm a big fan of seeing healthy, happy horse racing. I know you are as well. I'm looking forward to the weekend. I want to see authentic run and I will be very mindful of your mind control bet. You see what I did there, Greg? I did, Bob, but we'll see you next week. <laughs>